time again, we're reminded of a, uh, of a general theme. And what is the theme? Well, Jesus is better. He's better. Better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than man, better than the, the old high priests, better than Moses, better than Aaron. He's better. He's got a better priesthood. He has established a better covenant. He has a, established that better covenant to be executed in a better sanctuary, which is what we learn about in Hebrews chapter 9, and all because of a better sacrifice, which we'll learn about in Hebrews chapter 10. And so all of these truths, they really build upon each other until we get to the climax that's Hebrews 10 um, and uh, verses really 19 through 25. I'm really looking forward to getting to that very soon in the next couple of weeks. But we're in Hebrews chapter 9 and here we see how Jesus ministers as our high priest in a better sanctuary. Now, I've gonna, I'm going to have to show you this tonight because Brother Jerry worked really hard on this. Let me pull it over here. I've got to show off his handiwork here for you. I hope you can see it. Brother Jerry has actually made a replica of the tabernacle we've been studying. And uh, so I'm I, uh, looking forward when we all get back together and you'll actually be able to see this replica of the tabernacle up close and personal. But all of these things that we've been looking at in that old tabernacle, they all point to a wonderful spiritual truth, but the fact remains that they're just types, they're just symbols, and they're not the substance. And so the Bible begins to talk to us about this old sanctuary and how inferior it was to the new sanctuary that Jesus has established for us. And so we've already talked about the first 10 verse of this, verses of this chapter, where in these first, this first section of the chapter, the first 10 verses, the apostle, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit inspiring the, the words of the apostle, he begins to convey to us how inferior this old sanctuary, this old tabernacle was. And in showing us how inferior the old was, he does it to be able to show us how superior the new sanctuary is. The new tabernacle that Jesus has established for us, how truly superior it really is. And why is all of this important for us today? Why does it matter whether it's an earthly tabernacle or a heavenly tabernacle? Old sanctuary, new sanctuary. What does it mean for my life today? Well, here's what it means for your life today. We each are believer priests who can enjoy daily fellowship with God. When you don't understand these truths right here, you're going to live your life like you can't approach God. You're going to live your life like it's the old tabernacle and not the new. That's why we need to understand what the Bible is conveying to us here in, in Hebrews chapter 9. And so the writer here gives a contrast between the Old Covenant's earthly tabernacle and the New Covenant's heavenly tabernacle. And, and in doing so, he begins to show us how Jesus has provided for us something that is so much better than what anyone had ever known before. Now, we looked in previous weeks, and if you have your outline tonight, you might want to refer to that for this, but in Hebrews chapter 9, we saw the reasons for why the old tabernacle was inferior. And I'll just give them to you very quickly in case you missed it. You can go back and listen to those sermons later if you'd like. But number one, we said it was because it was an earthly tabernacle, and therefore subject to uh, corrosion and corruption. We said number two, it was inferior because it required a continual work to be done. They were never done offering the sacrifices. Number three, we said it was inferior because it provided limited access to God. Only certain people could approach God's presence. Number four, we said it was inferior because it was conducted by sinful high priests. 
They weren't, they weren't any uh, more worthy of being in that room than, than, than you and I ever would be. Number five, it, it was inferior because it provoked a continual reminder of sin. And all of those continual sacrifices, it just reminded them of one overarching reality that they were not righteous and never could be, no matter how many offerings they offered up. Number six, it was inferior because it enslaved people with carnal ordinances, with all of these rules and regulations they had to follow in order to keep themselves in the state that they needed to be in before God according to the law. And so these were all the reasons why these, this old tabernacle was inferior. This physical tabernacle, this visible tabernacle, and all of its beauty and all of its splendor, boy... It did not even come close to accomplishing for us what we now are able to enjoy in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And in the tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle that he has set up for us. And so now as we progress in this chapter of scripture in Hebrews chapter 9, after having looked at the old sanctuary for a little while, we can now truly begin to understand how much better the new sanctuary Jesus has established for us really is. And so I want you to write in your notes here, number, Roman numeral number two, I want you to write the superiority of the new sanctuary. It was superior in every way. It was a better tabernacle. As verse number 11 says of Hebrews chapter 9, if you're there with me, say amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 or Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, and read this next phrase out loud with me, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, he says, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Okay, so now we've seen the old, and now we're introduced to the new. This new tabernacle, which he calls here in the scripture, a greater and more perfect, completed tabernacle. I mean, everything it was supposed to be was fulfilled in the tabernacle that Jesus Christ has set up for us here. And so we're going to notice this week and next in the final 18 verses of this chapter, several reasons for the superiority of this new sanctuary. Now, I'm learning my lesson the longer I preach. I know we're not going to get through all six of these, so we're going to try to take two tonight on, okay? And so let's look at the first reason for why it was superior, and that is this reason, because it is a heavenly tabernacle. Because it is a heavenly tabernacle. Now, in order to understand what is being communicated here in verse 11, we need to go back to the last two verses of this first section, verses 9 and 10, where the Bible says about this old tabernacle that it was a figure for the time then present, it goes on to say in verse 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of what? Reformation. Until the time of refor reformation. Now, don't miss this. Everything physically represented in that old earthly tabernacle was just a figure that the Bible says was imposed. It was laid on as a burden on the people who were under the old covenant until what time? Well, until the time of what the Bible calls the Reformation. Now, we looked at that phrase last, last time we, we were studying this chapter together. But that phrase, the time of Reformation... It comes from the Greek diathorsis, which means to make straight or to restore something that has gotten out of line to its natural condition. 
And so the time of reformation is talking about where Jesus was going to come and make all things new. To restore things back to how they were supposed to be from the beginning of creation. When did it get screwed up? When we sinned. That's when it got screwed up. And from that moment, the Lord promised in Genesis 3.15 that there was going to come one who was going to set things straight. There's going to come one who's going to store things back to order. And guess what? We have it better now than even Adam and Eve had it then before the fall. Because of Christ's finished work, it's something we could never fall away from. And so the Bible tells us about this time of reformation that was to come. And so under the old covenant, the whole world waited trying to understand the great mystery of what was to come. And boy, it was a mystery too. Hey, when you, if you were to try, to try to distinguish who I was from someone else by just looking at my shadow, you'd have a very difficult time doing it. And that's all they had in the Old Testament. They had pictures and shadows. They didn't, ha they didn't, know, they didn't know exactly how the Lord was going to fulfill these promises about this Messiah who was to come. They had their ideas about it. In fact, they thought the Messiah was going to come and deliver them from Rome, and that was not what the Messiah was going to come and do at all. They didn't have a clue. They were just trying to figure out something that was a mystery to them in ages past. But thank God for us now on this side of the cross. It's no longer a, a mystery. We have been revealed that mystery today. And we understand that everything the Bible's talking about, this time of reformation, this time that was to come, that was when Jesus stepped into this world and finished the work of our salvation. And so the time of reformation came when Jesus stepped into the world. And that's what the Bible begins to communicate to us in verse 11. And so I invite you to look with me at verse 11, where the Bible says, But Christ being come and high priest of good Things to come. Now you're going to hear that phrase several times throughout the, the, these next several, uh, several uh, throughout the, this chapter and the next. Good things to come. What does it say about Christ? It says Christ being come. Now you can't miss this because you can't see it as clearly in just looking at the English. The English there. That phrase being come. It comes from a Greek word that literally means to come forth or to make a public appearance. And I tell you, when Jesus stepped into this world, he made a public appearance. He revealed himself to the world. We read earlier, when we studied earlier in Hebrews, uh, Hebrew, go back to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by these prophets, but he hath in these last days spoken unto us by who? His Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. God has now spoken to us through his Son. When Jesus stepped into this world, the Bible says that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, even the glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. When Jesus stepped down on this earth, he was come, he presented himself, he made a public appearance, and he presented himself as our high priest, the Bible says, of good things to come. Now don't, don't miss this. As, this. as this verse goes on back in Hebrews chapter 9 it says in verse 11, but Christ being come, presenting himself coming forth as an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Understand this, Jesus has made his appearance. 
in this world. He has presented himself and he has come and brought about this time of reformation the scripture speaks of here. See, Jesus came to set things straight by establishing something that was new and so much better than the old covenant law, the old covenant system. I'm glad Jesus came to establish that for us. Uh, uh, Liz Richard mentioned this verse this morning in our small group, and boy, it's a blessing to me to think about this. John chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by who? Jesus Christ, <laughs> Moses gave us the law, but Jesus gave us grace and truth. And what a blessed thought that is right there. And so Jesus is the good things to come that the Bible's talking about here in verse 11. He's everything that the Bible means when it's speaking about the good things to come. And as you see, all that was foreshadowed by the type of, uh, in the tabernacle that we've studied in three past weeks, all that was foreshadowed by that type of the tabernacle was now a reality because of Jesus' priestly ministry in heaven on our behalf. Boy, everything that the tabernacle pointed to, Jesus has now fulfilled it for us. You look at the candlestick. He's the candlestick. Hey, you look at all these different instruments that we've looked at in the tabernacle. They all point to Jesus and what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And so today, we can put away the picture book because we have the real deal. And I'm glad about that. I'm glad that I don't have to try to approach God by walking to some random tent in the wilderness and giving up an animal sacrifice in order to somehow hope that my prayer can get through to God. I'm glad I can go right to the throne of God's grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm glad we have the real deal now. And so we find that this heavenly tabernacle, this new sanctuary, it's so much better because it was a heavenly tabernacle. And this new tabernacle, this, by the way, remember, tabernacle means a habitation for God. This new tabernacle, this habitation for God, it's better in every way than the old. I just want to give you a few of the, the ways that it was better. The old tabernacle, it was temporal. It was made by the hands of men. It was made of earthly materials that would fade and corrupt and eventually need to be replaced. The old tabernacle was temporal. But the new tabernacle is eternal. The Bible says in verse 11 that it's not made with hands. Verse 11, in fact, says that the new tabernacle is not made with hands. That is to say, not of this what? Building. Not of this building. Now, that word building is a Greek word. You know what it means? It literally means creation. It's talking about the creation. Uh, it's not talking necessarily singularly about the, the, old, the Old Testament tabernacle and the tent structure, but it's talking about it's not of this world. It's not of this creation. Um, it's not of the temporal things that we'll find in this lifetime. It's a heavenly tabernacle. And so since the new taber tabernacle is not of this world then, it is not subject to the corruption and corrosion of this world. Don't miss this. Time will not corrode this sanctuary. Hey, the curse of sin can't taint or touch this sanctuary. Unless you forget, as we've looked in recent weeks, hey, this tabernacle, God has set up this tabernacle in you. And I say again, 
This tabernacle which God has set up in you. He's made His habitation in your heart. Hey, this curse of sin can't touch it. Time cannot make it fade away. There's nothing that can take away from the fact that God has made a habitation in your heart. And so, beloved, listen to me tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God, what? Destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. God's not going to let anybody touch his temple. God's not going to let anything taint his tabernacle. And by the way, lest we get it confused, this fact of God not letting anything defile or desecrate his temple is on God's, on God's responsibility, not on yours. God's the one that makes us holy. God's the one that keeps us holy. And I'm thankful for that truth. And so, beloved, the curse of sin and the conniving of Satan can't change what God has made you to be, the habitation of His Spirit. And thank God for that truth right there. And so this old tabernacle, it was, it was inferior because it was temporal. The new tabernacle, however, was superior because it was eternal. It is eternal, I should say. Now notice this as well. The old tabernacle was fabricated and fashioned by man. But the new sanctuary is the work of Jesus Christ alone. The old tabernacle, God told him, gather the materials. I've appointed special men to put the materials together and construct it and fashion all the instruments of it. And all of these things were constructed and fashioned by the hands of men. But the new sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary, is the work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We understand this better when we look at back in Hebrews chapter 8. Look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1. Now the Bible says here, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, heavenly sanctuary, a minister of the sanctuary and the true, the genuine tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Guess what? God set up this tabernacle, not man. Don't miss this. You didn't set this tabernacle up. Jesus did. That's what the Bible makes very clear here. The Lord pitched it. Jesus pitched it, not you and I. That's significant for us to understand. That's one of the reasons why it's so superior. You see, it was Jesus who went into the heavenly sanctuary before the throne of God in heaven and finished the work of our redemption on our behalf. You and I couldn't go there. See, you and I could never pitch a heavenly sanctuary. There's only one who ever could do that. And the Bible tells us later about how Jesus did it here in Hebrews chapter 9. If you look at Hebrews 9 and verse number 24, the Bible says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. In other words, Jesus, hey, by the Mosaic law, he couldn't even go into the, uh, to the earthly tabernacle. He wasn't of the tribe of Levi. I mean, he, did, he didn't go into the earthly tabernacle to finish the work of our redemption. He's not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are just the figures, just the illustrations, just the uh, parables of the true. But the Bible says that he's entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. You know, when Jesus was crucified, 
He offered himself up as our high priest. He offered himself up as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. He shed his blood. He was buried. And three days later, he took the blood of our atonement, his own blood that he had shed, and he took it up to the heavenlies. And he applied that blood on our behalf before the throne of God upon the mercy seat in heaven. And there he finished the work of our redemption. And because of that, he's given us access to a heavenly sanctuary. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. See, Jesus has not only gone to the heavens and, 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 and finished the work of our redemption so that we could take advantage of this heavenly sanctuary, but then when we put our faith in Him, He brings the heavenly sanctuary to us. He brings it into our hearts. He makes us His saints. I'll tell you something. This was one of my favorite things that, I, that, that, that we found out in, in our small group today. And I was thinking of this because I've been studying Hebrews chapter 9. But you know what the word saint you know what the Greek word for the word saint is? The Greek word for the word saint is hagion. It's hagion. Do you know what the Greek word for the word sanctuary is? Hagion. It's the same word. The Lord has set up his sanctuary in our hearts. That's what it means to be called a saint. It means you're a sanctuary. It means God has brought his presence to you. And I'm glad that I can approach the throne of God, but I'm also glad to know that God, His presence lives within me. And boy, that's what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And that's something the world can't touch. There's nothing temporal about that that anything in this world could get a hold of and take away from us. It's spiritual. It's heavenly. It's eternal. That's why it's so much better than that Old Testament tabernacle. You realize, some of you have been reading through your Bible like I have, I can't. I, I should. I, should, I wanted to go back and, and number this, and I didn't. There are several times when the Ark of the Covenant was taken away from the people of Israel. I mean, the thing that represented the presence of God for the people of Israel, gone. Jesus has said to us in this new covenant, "I'll never leave you, nor forsake you." There's not any power in heaven, nor any power in hell, no power on this earth that can remove the love of Christ from me, that can take the presence of God away from me, because it's not based on my effort, it's not based on what anybody else can do for me, but it's based upon God's promise to me, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Boy, what a reassuring thing that is to know. And so we find that Jesus is the one who pitched this tabernacle, not you and I. And that just reminds us, salvation is the work of Jesus Christ alone. It has nothing to do with you and me. Ephesians 2, and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, we need to understand that truth right there. And I'm so glad now because of what Jesus has done. He's made a way for us to have this heavenly tabernacle, access to this heavenly tabernacle. And He's come and pitched this tabernacle, this sanctuary within our hearts. And now I, symbolically thinking of what the tabernacle represented now, and that the Lord has established a heavenly tabernacle. Inside of my heart, hey, I can walk in the light of his candlestick as I go about my day. Hey, I can sit at the table of shoe bread and enjoy his provision and enjoy fellowship with him anytime I want because he set up the tabernacle in my heart. Hey, I can bring my prayers directly before the ark of God's new covenant through, through Jesus' blood. 
everything that thing pointed to now tells me what I get to enjoy in my real relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not an article of furniture, but it is a fact in my heart by faith. And boy, thank God. Thank God for that right there. And so, hey, the new tabernacle, the new sanctuary, it's so superior because it is a heavenly tabernacle. But number two, and finally for tonight, I want you to notice it's superior because it operates on spiritual ordinances. And you can write that down in your notes. Number one, it's superior because it is a heavenly tabernacle. Number two, it's superior because it operates on spiritual ordinances. Verse number 12, if you're still with me, say amen. The Bible says in verse 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into, uh, in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, I need to give you a little bit of context before we dive into this, so don't let me lose you in it. But we found out earlier, last week in fact, in verse number 10, that all of the outward ordinances, what verse 10 calls the carnal ordinances of the Old Covenant, all of these rules and regulations, this system, the Bible says in verse 10 that they were imposed or literally laid as a burden on people until Jesus came to fulfill the law. So these people walked around with the real weight of trying to have to keep all the law and being living with the reality that they couldn't possibly ever do it. And it's exactly what the Lord intended to be accomplished by the law, by the way. But these, these people had to live in this, in this reality under the old covenant. And most of the ordinances involved, to some degree, the shedding of the blood of goats or calves, get this, not to take away the sins of the people, but just to cover the sins of the people. They had to continually offer, continue offering up these animals every time they'd sin in order to continue to cover those sins, to cover those sins over and over and over again. And, and all of these carnal ordinances established in the, in the Mosaic Law dealt with the outward. They all dealt with covering up the outward. They didn't deal with the inward. All of these ordinances dealt with the physical, not with the spiritual. And these ordinances were powerful and what they represented. Hey, we go back and we learn from them now in type for, for how they, they pointed us to what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. But the people that lived in that time, they didn't fully understand that. The, the finished work of Christ was a mystery to them. And so these ordinances were powerful in what they represented, um, but in and of themselves, these ordinances had no power to actually save those who were observing them. In other words, when they offered up these bulls and goats, they knew they were going to have to come back again and again and again. They were only covering their sin until they sinned again, and then they would need to come back and cover it again. This is what the Bible indicates to us later in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. Where the Bible says, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. And so think about this with me. These people in this Old Testament time period, under this old covenant, under all of these carnal ordinances which were laid on them as a burden to reveal really to the world our need for Christ, all of, all of them, they were made to live under this old system that was very burdensome. And to this point, John Phillips, one of my favorite commentators, he offers a really good illustration, I think, about their, the limited power of this old system. And I'm going to read this to you because I don't think I'll be able to tell it as well as he's written it. So let me just read it to you. Hang with me on this and think about this with me. He said, Just in the same way that a few pieces of paper 
may raise a pauper from poverty to wealth. Uh, the banknote paper is intrinsically worthless of itself, but it represents gold in the bank. And just as valueless was the blood of bulls and calves, but they represented the precious blood of Christ. You understand in that Old Testament time period, the power was not in the blood of the goats and calves, but in a picture that pointed to Jesus and his blood that was going to be shed one day. That's what gave the worthless blood of those bulls and goats power. That's what gave the worthless blood of those bulls and goats significance. And so now, fast forward here to the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people. And the overarching message that he's getting across to them here is this. God is no longer accepting the old currency. <laughs> the banknotes are no good anymore uh, because something, something better has been established for us. Uh, it makes me think of uh, an illustration here during the Civil War. The Union versus the Confederacy. Both sides of uh, our, our nation that was divided at that point began to print their own currency. You can still find pieces of Confederate, Confederate currency today. Here's the thing. When the Confederate Army lost the war, the next day, guess what? Confederate currency wasn't worth anything. Now, if you have Confederate currency today, it's worth something as a novelty, but not anything by law in our land. See, when the person in charge, when the person in power changed, the old currency was done away with. And can I say to you here this evening, <laughs> the old currency, when it comes to the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats, no more need for that. There's nothing powerful or significant about it anymore because now we have a new currency, the blood of Jesus Christ that's been shed for all of our sins. There's no longer a need for all of the old rules and regulations and systems because Jesus has come and established something that's better, something that isn't based off of, uh, uh, of carnal or fleshly ordinances, but something that is now based off of spiritual ordinances on our behalf and so don't miss this here why try to go back and use the old bankrupt bills of judaism or religion when you can come to god with the receipt of the purchase of christ's blood Listen, when I come to God, I don't even need any currency anymore. I can come to God not with, not with a piece of paper that represents something that has been done on my behalf in the sense of currency, but I can come to God with a receipt of purchase paid in full because Jesus has already purchased my redemption. And the fact is, the Bible says in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28 that Jesus has purchased with His own blood us the church. I'm glad I'm a blood-bought, born-again believer today. Because, I, because of that fact right there, that's why I can approach the presence of God. And oh friend, will you stop trying to approach God on your own merit with the old bankrupt bills of your own righteousness? And will you just come to God with the freely given currency of heaven, God's grace, and Jesus' blood? You're never going to be worthy to approach God in and of yourself. And if you keep on trying to live like you've got to make yourself better to be able to approach God, 
God. You've got to make yourself better to be worthy of being used by God. You are going to find that those are always bankrupt bills. They're never going to be good enough to bring you before God's presence. They're never going to be good enough to give you access to God. But there is something that is freely given to you today if you would just receive it. It's God's grace. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that's been shed on your behalf today. And if you come to God through the freely given blood of Jesus Christ today, you can walk right in. You'll never be able to do it of your own merit. You'll never be able to do it of religion or anything else that, 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 that this world or the devil may try to offer to you. But Jesus is offering you something that if you'll just receive it of him, you can walk freely in. It's the receipt of his purchase. It's his blood that's been shed on our behalf. That's why the Bible says in, back in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. That's why the Bible says over in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, by what? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. I'm going to draw near through the Finished work of Jesus Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ by the grace of God. That's why I'm going to draw near. Not of my own merit, but of the merit of the only one who could ever give me access to God. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. It's through him and him alone I can approach God's throne. By the way, to try to approach God any other way is to fall back into legalism. I remind you what legalism is. Legalism is thinking that your works are necessary for your salvation or that your works are necessary to make you more spiritual and accepted before God after salvation. It's the idea that my performance makes God accept me. And that idea can, can infect you before salvation or after. You can think the only way you can go to heaven is by doing a lot of good things. And a lot of people bound to religion are slaves to that ideology right there. But even those of us who have been saved can become slaves to a spiritual legalism. The idea that God accepts me more or less based on my performance in this life. And that, is never, and that has never been true. And it never will be true. And so... This is what uh, is communicated, and, and I want you to go over, well, it's actually probably in your notes here, but if you'd like to turn there, Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 2 and 3, the Bible says, the apostle writing here, if ye have heard of the dispensation, uh, oh, I'm, I'm in the wrong book, Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 2, it says, this only what I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, the obvious answer is it's by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, he said, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect or complete by your flesh? In other words, you got saved by God's Spirit, by God's grace working in your heart. And now that you're saved, do you think all of a sudden you've got to keep it up on your own strength? You've got you to keep yourself saved or keep yourself accepted before God by your own power, by the work of your flesh? No. 
No, it's, it was of the Spirit of God that we got saved, and it's by the Spirit of God that we walk in this salvation that God has brought to us. The Bible later says in the book of Galatians, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. <laughs> if God has put a Spirit inside of us, if He set up His habitation in our heart, we might as well just let Him have control of our lives. We might as well just live as if He's in control because that's indeed what He desires to be, having set up His presence within our heart. Now I'll give you one more illustration and we'll be done tonight. Hey, have you ever gone to the store like I have many times, gone to the store and you ring everything up and you get your card out and you try to put your card into the reader and it doesn't work? Am I the only guy that's ever happened to before? Some of you say, well, I don't use a card. I use cash. That's why I use cash. All right, well, good for you. I don't use cash because if I have it in my hand, I'll probably spend it. All right, but I, I, it's happened to me before. I go to the store and I have a card and I stick the card into the card reading machine to pay for what I want to pay for and it doesn't work. I hate it when that happens. That's probably the most embarrassing thing in the world when you are at the store and that happens to you. And I'm telling you, hey, spiritually speaking today, every time you try to put your card in to give you access to God, every time you try to put your card in thinking that if you put your card in because you've done pretty good that week and you've, you've banked up a lot of good points for yourself on doing good things for God, every time you try to put your card in, it's going to come back. It's going to bounce back. You're not going to get any access that way. And that's one of the most frustrating ways to live your life, and so many people do it. But listen to me. Jesus' bank line, Jesus' line of credit will never be declined. If you come to God through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, hey, you're going to find the door wide open and a free way entered in made for you. That's why this new sanctuary through which Jesus ministers on our behalf is so much better Hey, it's a heavenly sanctuary, and it's not based on those old fleshly carnal ordinances, but it has spiritual ordinances through which we can relate to God. And now, we don't offer up physical offerings, but later in Hebrews, we're going to find we can offer up the sacrifice to praise to God. Huh. The fruit of our lips giving glory to His name. Now, we get to offer up these spiritual sacrifices because now we're in this new sanctuary that's being conducted by these spiritual ordinances. Boy, there's, there's so much good truth to this right here. But friend, let's stop living the Christian life like God's a thousand miles away when He has come to make a way for us to be able to approach God. And as soon as we come to approach God through faith in Jesus Christ, as soon as we do that, He comes and sets up camp in our hearts. And now, I don't have to live Falling in and out of God's presence, God is always with me, and I get to live freely serving the Lord, knowing on my good days and my bad days, He's there, He's enabling me, His grace is sufficient. And friend, when you really wrap your mind around this concept, it changes the way you live your Christian life. I'm telling you, even among churches we would say we're like-minded with, so many of them get it wrong here. And they try to keep people bound by their rules and regulations. Let's not do it. Let's not do it. Let's, let's believe what the Bible says Jesus has done for us. And let's live in the freedom 
wherewith Christ has made us free. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Our heads are bound, our eyes are closed.